Good morning and welcome to the historic Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ message. I'm sitting out on my back porch and it's uh, raining a little bit so I hope that that's not too much of a distraction for you. Maybe it'll be a little bit soothing as we discuss uh, the scriptures this morning. I want to first begin by offering a prayer uh, for our world and uh, for you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, I pray for all those right now who are suffering, who are hurting. And we pray for all of our frontline staff who are ministering, who are helping. Father, we pray for every person that's viewing today that you would bless their families and bless them today as they seek you in faith, hope, and trust. Thank you for your son, Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen. So today we're going to continue our lesson and our series of lessons on salvation. And last week we discussed justification and all of the different things that that means when it comes to salvation, that uh, God through justification is making us right with himself. And, uh, and so justification is that legal idea. And today we're going to be in part two of Pictures of Salvation. And today we're going to discuss redemption and what that means with salvation. And this is important. And even though you may have experienced salvation, uh, get, gaining a deeper understanding of salvation helps us to grow in our worship and in our service to God. And the life of a Christian isn't one that's static, but one that's dynamic, one of growth. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it says in 2 Peter 3.18. And uh, so I hope this is beneficial. I hope that it helps you gain appreciation and understanding of what salvation is and we're going to get into that idea of redemption today how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation which began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed into us by them that heard him hebrews 2 verse 3. so we're going to launch into this idea of redemption we're going to look at galatians chapter 4 4 through 7 so if you have your bibles turn there um, and we will we'll get into that text. But I want to first begin by asking you a question to, to get our minds ready for this idea of redemption. And it's this question. What is life worth? What is the value of life? I've noticed that in the media and in the news, there's been a lot of discussion about this related to COVID-19 and reopening the economy. And some people seem to um, be dismissive in, of the value of life to some degree. And we want to affirm the sanctity and sacredness of life. And when our first response to the value of life would be something like this. It's priceless, isn't it? If you were to ask me, how much do I value my daughter? 
her life. I would tell you there is not a number in, in the bank that would do justice to the value that I place upon her. And I'm sure that you feel the same way about your loved ones as well, your children, your parents, or grandparents. Then in one sense we say life is priceless. It's an infinite value, isn't it? But how would we begin to quantify the value of life? If we were going to try to do it, how would we? Well, the first way that I would suggest, maybe, is that we could look at the human body and look at it from an elemental standpoint. Well, if I was just going to look at what makes up the human body, how much are we worth? The human body is composed of six different elements, primarily. 99% of the human body is composed of six elements, which among them are oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. But there are traces of some 60 elements in your body. And if you were going to take all of those elements and, and put them on the market tomorrow with an average weight of some 170 pounds, you're talking about $160. That doesn't sound right to me. Well, what about earnings? If you were going to take the average earnings of a person per year, it would be about $35,000. You multiply that by 40 years, and you come up with about $1.4 million. So, Elementally, it's only about 160. Earnings, lifetime earnings is 1.4 million. If you were going to ask the court, the average wrongful death suit is 2.2 million dollars. Well, what about the insurance guy? I know you might get a call from him. The average life policy is $160,000. So really, there is a wide array of value that you can get from these different ways of trying to quantify the value of life. Then you come to the story of Jesus and Judas Iscariot. And Judas goes to the chief priest in Matthew chapter 26, 15, and he says, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they give Judas Iscariot 30 pieces of silver for the life of Jesus. If you were to put that in today's economy, that is somewhere around the neighborhood of 200 bucks. So Judas sold out his friend for $200. Sold out the Messiah for $200. In the betrayal of Judas, there was a transaction that was made. And once we get to the idea of a transaction, then we're getting to the idea of redemption. Of course, the chief priest took that money because Judas returned it in grief 
and in sorrow, and they bought a potter's field to bury unknown folks. There was a transaction that happened, and, and when we start to think about a transaction, then we're beginning to think about the idea of redemption because the idea of redemption means to purchase or to buy. So in the cross, in salvation, not only was there this transaction of betrayal, which is heartbreaking, but there's also a spiritual transaction that happens in the cross of Jesus. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 and see if we can find some things here. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So the first thing that Paul tells us is that Christ fulfilled time, that in the fullness of time, Christ comes into the world. And when we look at the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, we see that he is fulfilling things, don't we? One of the first pictures of this that we see is in his baptism, because when he comes to John, John says, I have need of being baptized of you. And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 3, permit it so that righteousness might be fulfilled, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. So Jesus, in his obedience to God and obeying in John's baptism, fulfills all righteousness. So Christ is completing righteousness. He's fulfilling it. We also see that Jesus says this of the law of the prophets. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. So Christ is fulfilling things. And in the same sense, it says, but in the fullness of time, when the time was right, God sent forth his son into this world. And we know that the world was ready for a savior. The Jewish scriptures were known. The prophetic word was known. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, it says in 2 Peter 1.21. And the world had those Jewish scriptures in the Greek language. And the Greek language was uh, universal during the time of Jesus. And so the scriptures were written down in a precise language and preserved in a providential way for us. And also the world was ready through the Roman government because the world at that time knew stability and peace and good roadways and connectivity. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his, time, his Son, and Christ is not only fulfilling righteousness and the law, but he's actually fulfilling time. Revelation says that Jesus is he who was, who is, and who is to come. But it says he came for a purpose. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. And there's that word. To redeem, to purchase, to buy. And so in Christ, in his cross, there is a transaction that happens. What is God trying to communicate to us through this idea of redemption? Well, for one thing, he's telling us that he values us. 
going back to that idea of what is the value of life? What is the value of a soul? And the Bible paints a picture of immense value on the person. In the very story of creation in Genesis 1.26, God begins by saying, Let us make man in our image. So that value comes from God. It's transcendent because God has made us image bearers of himself. And we bear the resemblance of God in the way that we think, in the way that we are relational, in the way that we love, in the way that we choose. We're image bearers. We are made in the image of God, and God values us. In the ministry of Jesus, Jesus said that God knows when the sparrow falls. How much more does he care about you? How much was a sparrow? You could buy two sparrows for a penny. And if God knows when the sparrow falls, then that should tell you how much he loves you. And he's intimately aware. It says that God knows how many hairs are on your head or how many hairs are not on your head. But probably the greatest indication of the value of a person comes not just in creation and not just in the ministry of Jesus, but in the cross of Jesus. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 20, 28, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, that Christ purchases, that there's this transaction that happens in the cross and, and God is showing the value of humanity. And God is giving himself, he is giving Christ as an offering for that. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. We were redeemed with incorruptible not with silver and gold, not with 30 pieces of silver. We were redeemed with Christ. It also says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit. So one of the questions that has to arise from this is, am I living in the value that God has placed upon my life. If God values you this much, that means it should have a transformative effect on the way that we live. You have been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit. That when I live according to God's will, when I live according to His value, my life is transformed. Another question that comes, am I living in the value that God has for other people? That when I do see elders, am I valuing them as the way that God values them? They are image bearers of God and also have been bought with the price, the blood of Jesus. Elders, young people, the poor, the prisoner, the neighbor the enemy. God has endowed each of those people 
with that value. And I in my life need to honor that value by the way that I treat myself and the way that I treat other people. So in redemption, we see this idea of immense value, that God values each person so much because God gave of His Son to purchase, to buy back. Another idea that we get from redemption is one of subservience. In other words, who are we serving? Because verse 7, it says in Galatians, it says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And so in the idea of redemption, we are the possession of God. We are the special treasure of God. And who we serve should reflect that. One of the first ideas in Scripture that we get concerning redemption is that of the children of Israel who were in Egypt, they were the possession of Egypt. They belonged to Egypt. They were the possession. They were slaves of Egypt. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you. So in the exodus, in the bringing out of the children of Israel, God emancipates them, frees them from the burden, the slavery of Egyptian bondage, and redeems them, sets them free. And no longer are they subservient slaves of Egypt, but now they serve the true living God. Redemption comes to us because it says in John chapter 8, 34, that he who commits sin is the slave of sin. Sometimes our world gives us this idea that you can do anything that you want. And yes, you do have that freedom, but with that freedom comes a price, and the question comes, who are you a slave to? What are you a slave to? He who commits sin is a slave to sin. And that's why Jesus says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So in the cross, in the gospel of Jesus, there is a liberation. There is an emancipation. There is a freedom there. Because we have been redeemed. We have been purchased. We have been brought out of that slavery to sin. Freed by forgiveness. But there's also even greater news than that because not only have we been redeemed, but we have been graced a destiny. And that's why it says, therefore, listen to this, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Isn't that an amazing verse? And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. No longer a slave, but a child of God, an heir. And that means my destiny has been sealed and redeemed with Christ. When you think about that good news, you know, think about if today 
you got a phone call and it says, I got good news for you. You're an heir. How happy would you be? You'd be like, what am I inheriting? But that's the gospel. You are an heir through the redemption of Christ. You are no longer a slave, but have been transformed into a son. And the Spirit of God indwells, saying and crying out, Abba, Father. Abba being that intimate name of a child with her father. The eternal promise that we have in Christ. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. We have been purchased back through His blood, through the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1.7. What a beautiful picture. I heard a story about a man by the name of Peter Steele who in the 1800s had lived a life as a slave for 40 years. And as a slave, he had somehow managed to save $500. And with the help of a Jewish storekeeper, his freedom was purchased. But he didn't stop there. In fact, he turns his attention, of course, to his family, and he goes to Philadelphia, and Peter Steele goes there, and he raises $5,000 to redeem, to save his family from slavery. But the law prevents him from being able to purchase his family, so he has to have someone else. He has to have an advocate. He has to have an intermediary. He has to have someone volunteer and a man by the name of Seth Conklin heard his story and volunteered to go down to the plantation and purchase his family. He takes the $5,000 and he goes down and he brings clothing and some family heirlooms to let the family know that he is an emissary of Peter Steele. And he he's able to purchase the family and they miss the steamboat to take them up north and they have to begin to, to sail by and to try to escape through a small boat and they're eventually caught. They find Seth Conklin's body washed up on the river, his hands and his feet chained and his skull fractured. And the family, unfortunately, was sent back to the plantation owner. He gave his life to purchase freedom. And that's just a small picture into what Christ has done for us. The story with Peter still ends with that he didn't give up that he has another emissary go and he finally frees and is reunited with his family around Christmas time. But he was ever indebted to Mr. Seth Conklin for going down there and courageously fighting and giving his life for family that wasn't his own. You see, redemption comes at a great price. And when we begin to understand just how great that price is, 
then our lives should be reflective of that redemption. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits. We should live in a way which honors that value and that freedom. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ, but we have been redeemed. We walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh when we recognize that God bankrupted heaven to redeem us, to buy us, to purchase us back, to save us. The Bible also says that we should understand just how valuable this life is. In Ephesians chapter 5, 16, it says that we should redeem the time. So I hope this week you will see just how much God truly loves you in your redemption. That he gave of heaven itself to redeem our broken world. That should change the way that we live. That should change the way that we talk. That should change the way that we love. Because there is such an immense value that God has placed upon each of us. God gave of His Son. Christ's body was broken for us. At this time, let's turn our attention to those elements of communion. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for loving us so much that you redeemed us by the blood of Christ. Help us as we partake of this bread to contemplate your love for us and help us to turn our attention, help us to glorify you in our bodies and our spirits this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray. Father God, thank you for this blood, that in this blood we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We pray in the blessed name of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope that. Uh, the lesson today has enriched your view of salvation and what God has done for each of us. We've looked at justification. We've looked at redemption. And next week, Lord willing, we will look at reconciliation and what that means. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Looking forward to being back with you next week. God bless.